Father in heaven, I give you thanks for uh, just your grace and that when we are weak, you are strong. And so, Father, in our weakness, I pray you would be strength today and that you would show us your strength today. Uh, Father, Holy Spirit, speak through my words. May they be your words and not mine. And may they be helpful uh, and pleasing to your heart and good for uh, everyone listening here today to hear. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, today's kind of a real dreary day outside, so nothing makes us feel better when we're having a dreary day than to talk about furry stuffed animals. So that's what I'm going to do here to start today. Um, my, uh, this is a real long story, but uh, when my wife and I started dating, I'm white, my wife is black, so this will make, make more sense. Um, we found this greeting card at Target uh, pretty early on dating. It was in these two teddy bears. There was like a light colored bear that had his arm around this darker brown colored bear. And we just thought that was like the greatest thing ever. And so we, you know, we're like, oh, this is a great. Yeah, so we bought it. And uh, from that point on, I started to call Brittany my brown bear, which was probably like, oh, that does not feel attractive. But, okay. Well, that's our thing, okay? I don't judge your thing, so don't judge ours, okay? So uh, anyway, so we did that. My favorite thing about that card was we had this friend named Jen, and Jen was like, oh, it's great because you're like the light-skinned bear, and Brittany's like the dark-skinned bear. Yeah, Jen, that's, yeah, I, I put that together there. Anyway, um, so that's kind of a bad thing. So a couple of years ago, uh, I think it's Christmas 2019, um, I was like, I'd gotten all my gifts for Christmas for Brittany, and I was like walking around Target, you yeah, had a feeling like, hey, I got the big gift, I got some other small things I think are going to be good, but I need like that one final thing to kind of set it off, you know? And so I'm just kind of walking around Target looking for something I can find. And then I'm walking through like one of the kids' stuffed animal aisles and look what I find right here. But our pal, Huggy, okay? This is Huggy. Huggy joined our family in Christmas of 2009. He was technically Brittany's stocking stuffer. Um, this is a picture of Huggy going with us to Orlando one year, buckled up in the back seat. You can see he's got an act, uh, an axe commentary there in the background too. So he's very, very studious on uh, matters of the New Testament as well. So uh, but Huggy joined our family. His backstory is he lived in a cave for a really long time. And then one day he just accidentally stumbled into a Target truck. And then he was in the Appalachian Target just looking for a home. And so I was there to give it to him. So Huggy joined our family. He has a little uh, Instagram account, at HuggyBearIG, if you want to follow it. Um, and uh, it's taken the net by storm. It's like got 14 followers or something like that. Um, but we put like our favorite thing, like Huggy will just like do little stuff around our house. So like one time Huggy had like, it was Thursday. So like he had like a, a wine glass in one hand and a bottle of wine in the other. And he just put hashtag Thirsty Thursday, you know, and like stuff like that. So like we, we like that. But then this Christmas, uh, Brittany kind of turned turned it back around on me and surprised me. And we had a new person or a new bear in our family. So this is Huggy's little friend, Buddy. Okay. Now, Buddy, you can see right there, they're partying hard on Christmas Day right there. They've got their crowns on and everything. Okay. And I, I know this is so stupid. Okay. I love this picture. It just brings a smile to my heart every time because they're just like these two little cute stuffed animals and they're just like 
BFFs, you know, so like they're always around our house together. They're always like up the little shenanigans together. You know, we left them today and they're sitting in the kitchen on the chair together, you know, like all that kind of stuff. I'm sure all of you are like, wow, this guy is so demented right now. But like, I just think this is thing. I think I find it really cute because like, we're all kind of looking for a friend. And I like that, you know, Huggy was fine on his own, right? I kind of like that Huggy has a friend now, and Buddy has a friend, you know, and Huggy and that kind of little thing. That just brings, it brings my heart some cheer and some warmth, you know, to think about that because everyone needs a friend. Um, and that's actually what I want to talk about uh, with us today here. Um, we're talking about the power of friendship. And here's, uh, you know, as we're talking about like feeling spiritually stuck, one of the things I think is important for us to note is that. Um, Friendship is a powerful force, and that can work for us or against us. Okay, chances are some of the best things that you've done in your life happen because you had trusted friends pushing you along and encouraging you to get there. And likewise, some of the dumbest decisions, isn't this so true? Like, no one smoked their first cigarette alone, did they, right? It was like always someone handed it to them, right? It's like all the dumb decisions we made there because of our friends too, right? Because friendship is a powerful force. It works for us or against us, which is why we need to, you know, choose our friends well and select our friends well. But that's, uh, yeah, which I guess is part of what we're talking about today. But we've been spending the past, I don't know, month and a half talking about what you do when you feel spiritually stuck. And the reality is when you feel spiritually stuck and you're at the wall, you're going to struggle to get over the wall uh, if you don't have the kind of quality friendships that are going to help push you over. They're going to help kind of just give you the, the boost you need to get over the wall. And the reality is a lot of us don't have those kinds of friendships. That's just not, not how we roll, okay? Um, guys, like, it's probably really stereotypical, right? But, like, guys, it's like, ladies, who'd you talk to about that difficult situation? Oh, this is, you know, they have, like, seven people. It's like, guys, who'd you talk to? The mirror, you know? Like, oh, no. It's like, you know, we got no one. I'm, like, I'm always really jealous of people that do that naturally. And guys, for whatever reason, we're not as good. And I'm sure ladies, some of you are bad at it. And guys, some of you are great at it. So, um, but what is true today is that our friendships, I think, more than ever, are really lacking that we don't have a solid kind of sense of place of community um, i think online friendships and relationships are wonderful and i know those are extraordinarily helpful right those those kind of scratch i think part of the things that we need met in friendships right but those i don't think can be a substitute for the whole thing uh, but often we try to make it that way um, numerous psychological studies have been coming out over the past five or ten years or so that basically show the average American's number of close friends is quickly diminishing more and more. I think it used to be something about five, and I think the last number I saw, it's now 1.9, okay? So, like, you can kind of get an idea of, you know, hey, that's not, that's not, yeah, that's probably not good, right? Um, one of the things that's hard in marriages, you know, we get married and we expect our spouse to be like the, the you know, meet all of our needs kind of thing you know right and like there's certainly truth in that right like you know your spouse is the most important person in your life they're the closest relationship you have but like they ain't jesus you know like they, they are not gonna they're not gonna fulfill every need that you have in your entire life right because they just aren't they can't carry that weight no one can right and the reality is that as we have less and less close relationships what that means for what we're talking about here today at the wall is that we have less and less ability to, to be propelled over the wall through our friendships helping us there. 
And that's problematic. And so I want to talk about that today, and I want to encourage us uh, you know, to think about that today. And so to do that, um, instead of showing a bunch of verses on the screen here today, I'm actually, because I'm actually trying to cover like three chapters in the Bible uh, in you know, real quick time, and I've already taken up 11 minutes and 21 seconds of my time, so good job by me. Um, but I want to kind of go through what I think is actually the Bible's story of the, the, the two best friends in the Bible. That, like, honestly, as I read their story a few weeks ago and I was prepping for this message, I found myself feeling kind of emotional about, like, wow, that's a really touching relationship that these two these two men enjoy. And I think even part of why it was touching to me is because it is men, right? Like, it's people who, in our culture, typically aren't associated with really close and, and endearing relationships with one another. And there's these two guys named David and Jonathan. Okay, David, you're probably familiar with a lot of his story, right? David, he's king of Israel. He's the same David that was like, you know, the David and Goliath David. You know, he slayed the you know, massive giant that was threatening Israel's army and all that kind of thing. So when David, uh, when David uh, killed Goliath, um, he quickly was kind of taken into King Saul's household. Uh, Saul took a liking to him. He became kind of like Saul's personal attendant. And... Uh, he uh, also became really fast friends with Jonathan, who is King Saul's son. And we actually see this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're told after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now, that's a real strong phraseology right there, like one in spirit and loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. There's that language again for us. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt, which are kind of signs of acceptance. Some of you might remember in the story of the prodigal son, right? When the father greets the, the son who wandered away from home, right? What, what's the first thing he does? He says, bring the robe, you know, put it around him kind of thing, okay? So that's the ordeal. And so David and Jonathan became very fast friends. Now, what's interesting is we actually don't hear a lot about like the, well, I'll just call the simple times in David and Jonathan's relationship. We don't hear a lot about like, hey, it's Thursday night, David, what you up to, man? You know, oh, I'm watching the camel races, dude, you know, or whatever you would do in ancient Israel, okay? We don't hear a lot of that stuff. In fact, a lot of what we hear in David and Jonathan's friendship is their friendship through the midst of crisis. Um, because, I don't know, show of hands, um, has your best friend's father ever tried to murder you? You know, has that ever been a thing? That, okay, I, if someone raised their hand, I was not sure what I was going to do right there. I was not prepared for that pastoral moment today. Um, but essentially, that's kind of what happened. Saul, a lot of things are kind of going on with Saul, but essentially, um, Saul discovers that people like David more than him, so uh, essentially there's like this top 40 radio song that got written, and it went, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands, and so that didn't really stick with Saul very well, you know, and so Saul, when it, like from that moment forward, he basically becomes paranoid that his kingdom is going to be handed over to David. And in fact, David and Jonathan's friendship is really problematic for Saul because, of course, when Saul dies, Jonathan, his firstborn son, is supposed to be the next king, right? So that's going to be a real, real big challenge and a real big issue. And so now they're kind of like Saul's basically trying to kill David. He's threatening to kill David. You know, things are not very good. And Jonathan does something that a great friend does. He sticks his neck out uh, for his friend. Here's what he does. 
1 Samuel 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Okay, that's an interesting command there, right? But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on your guard tomorrow morning, go into hiding, and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to him about you and tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he, what he has done has benefited you greatly, which is absolutely true. David's become like a trusted military general. He's taken new lands and conquering nations and stuff for Saul. Like, David is not... David's doing all these good things for Saul. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Now, Saul, like we just kind of get this feeling when you read 1 Samuel and you read the account of Saul's reign, like I'm not trying to be crass or mean here. Like he's just kind of unhinged. Like he he just he just does not have it together. Um, he he is again he's paranoid. He is struggling with a bunch of stuff. Like Saul is not a guy where it's like I know how this conversation with Saul is going to go. You know, like he he's kind of a guy you don't want to talk to, right? But Jonathan still sticks his neck out for his friend and has a challenging conversation with his dad. And Saul, we're told in First Samuel nineteen six, Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And so Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Okay, so Jonathan played peacemaker between his father and David, right? Which if you've ever been in that role before between two people you love and care about, that's a really challenging role to be in, isn't it? Now, of course, unfortunately, um, this didn't last very long because Saul pretty soon got worried and fearful and scared about David again. And so um, he basically threatened to kill David again. You know, he, he invited David to come to this, uh, it's called uh, basically like this uh, monthly feast that the king would have. And he invited ta David to his table for the monthly feast. And David got the invitation. It was basically like, something doesn't seem right here. Uh, something seems kind of off right here. And David kind of suspected that this was going to be Saul's attempt to try and, you know, get him into a compromised place where he could, you know, do away with him. And so we're told in 1 Samuel 20, verse 1, David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is now trying to kill me? Right? So John, David, David, you know, in a good friendship, right? We have the ability to speak how we're feeling to one another, right? And so David does that. Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. And as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Which that's a pretty powerful statement too. There, there are a whole lot of people in the world that I'm going to say, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it for you. Because right? those, are, those are scary words. Because what if people want you to do something you don't want to do, right? <laughs> but that's what true friendship does. right? It's not in it for just itself. It's in it for the other person. Um, 
Jonathan, what we kind of think was happening here is Jonathan is struggling, as we all probably would, to believe that his father could really be this kind of person. That he could really be this kind of person who is so, you know, angry and so fearful and so hell-bent on destruction for David and his family. Um, but Jonathan says, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to set aside how I feel right now so I can, like, hey, if you're seeing something, I want to do that. So um, David kind of gives Jonathan basically this little scheme where he's like, okay, Jonathan, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to be a no-show at the feast. And, uh, you know, you can just kind of make up, basically, there's like an emer a family emergency came up and I had to go be with them, you know. And basically, David says, hey, see what your dad says. And if your dad's like, oh, man, I hope everything's okay, or, you know, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? Then we're good. But if your dad, like, flies off the, you know, flies off the handle about all this stuff, then we know something's up. And sure enough, that's what happened. Um, you know, Jonathan says this thing to Saul. And Saul just goes like crazy. He actually tries to kill Jonathan at one point because um, he's so angry you know, about all this stuff. Um, but we're told that Jonathan, he kind of comes back, he recounts the incident to David. And Jonathan, we're told in 1 Samuel 20, 16, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. Again, we hear that language about loving the other as himself. So basically, um, they said this kind of one last thing where uh, you know Jonathan's going to kind of communicate uh, what he thinks David should do. You know how David can protect himself. You can read all of it in uh, in First Samuel chapter twenty if you want. Um, but basically, Jonathan uh, he arranges this like secret communique for him and David to meet up together. At the end of this, in second, or I'm sorry, First Samuel twenty forty one. Um, David is hiding, and when the you know area is clear, it's just him and Jonathan left. We're told that David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Um, that's a pretty powerful thing. Like that, that's a pretty powerful kind of friendship. Um, it's especially interesting to me because I feel like a lot of this story is couched in kind of David's issues that he's running into with King Saul. And yet, um, it seems kind of like Jonathan is the one driving the friendship a lot. But what we actually discover here at the end is apparently in between the lines, David had been driving it a lot too. And these were two guys who cared very, very deeply uh, for one another. Um, that this would be a friendship that that would edify and, and change them both. Um, they would actually meet one other time after this event. And uh, we're told that Jonathan, when he left David, David's spirit was refreshed. Because that's what great friendships do. They, they refresh our spirits. They, they, they carry us through in the hard seasons. Um, when we find ourselves at the wall, and I think certainly David was at the wall. He was in a scary situation. He was in a place where... He didn't, you know, like it's easy for us because we know how the story ends, right? We know, oh yeah, like David's going to become king, Saul's going to, you know, kind of shoot himself in the foot, and he's not really going to make it. And... But David, you know, didn't know that when his story was being written. And David was at the wall. Yeah, I would say, hey, being under threat from the king of your country is a pretty big wall. Being under threat from your best friend's uh, dad is kind of sitting at the wall. 
And yet David, um, he had a friendship that helped him past it. And as I think about, you know, and again, I'd encourage you to read 1 Samuel 18 through 20 if you've got some time this week. Check it out. It's, you know, I probably like it's just a story. You know, it's not like some, you know, really hard to understand passage or anything like that. I'd encourage you to read that for yourself and kind of notice some of the things about friendship in those passages that stand out to you. Uh, but one of the things that I thought about this week is, okay, so if we want to have the kind of friendships that help us pass the wall, what are those going to look like? Like, like how do we get there? Okay, and so I have four things I want to I want to talk to you about with that as we close here today. First thing is we have to be open to forging friendships and weakness. We have to be open to forging friendships and weakness. This may just be a unique personality trait of myself. Um, some of you, I'm sure, better at this than others. But I want to have everything put together before I invite you into my life or into my space. I don't want to invite you into a mess. I want to invite you into like my neat, clean, impressed life. And I mean, I'm not telling you just to like, you know, throw an atom bomb into your life, you know, just so you can make a friend or something like that. I don't think that's a helpful thing to do. But one of the things that we need to learn is if we want to have deep and meaningful friendships, what it will often mean for us is that we need to die to the idol of always having it together and always having things neat, clean, and tidy on the surface. Jonathan and David's relationship was not one that was forged in just like, oh, everything's great. You know, in fact, most of what we know about their relationship is stuff that was not great, stuff that was challenging, stuff that was difficult. And it was in those kinds of relationships where the power was. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, real famous passage. Uh, many of us are probably familiar with it. Um, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, we often talk about that when we think about, like, going through a hard time in life or, you know, like, when we think about walking through a difficult situation. And for good reason, absolutely. But what I want you to notice in that, in that place is, we experience the sufficiency of God's grace, often sufficiency that is given to us through friendships, when we allow our weakness to show, when we don't try to hold it together. And for a person like me, and maybe a person like you, that's really hard, but that's really necessary if we're going to take a step forward. Part two, if we want to form friendships that get past the wall, we have to commit to the well-being of others above ourselves okay this is uh, one of the things that i am just appalled by is how quickly i withdraw from relationships when they no longer suit me or when they no longer achieve my goals and my ends one of the fruits of the spirit is faithfulness and faithfulness means that no matter what like when i sign up i show up Right? If I'm your friend, I'm your friend till the end, man. Like, I'm not letting go. I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing you away. Like, I'm in it to win it, okay? Um, you know, now, hey, does that mean we can't have boundaries? No. You know, like, does that mean that we can't set up some healthy parameters? Yeah, of course, we should do those things, right? But I'm never going to give up on a friendship. That's what the fruit of faithfulness means in our lives. Yet, what I'm appalled by in my life 
is how easy it is for me when people in my life become difficult, how I just kind of withdraw. And instead of stepping into the mess or the challenge or the whatever that someone is walking through, I kind of stand at arm's length or I step back. Um, Jesus, in his final uh, in the Last Supper with his disciples, he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Right now, I mean, Jesus wasn't just talking a nice metaphor right there. Like literally a couple hours from when he said those words, right, he's going to be dying on a cross. He is, he is literally committing to the well-being of the world above himself, okay? And then two verses later in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. He's talking to his disciples. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. Right? Greater love has nothing but to lay down its life for its friends. And guys, you are my friends. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And if we want to have the kind of powerful relationships that propel us past the wall, it requires us to dive in to the well-being of others above ourselves and our friendship. Connected to that, number three, we have to commit for the long haul, okay? Now, I know that this changes, right? Like, people move away, and, you know, like, so, like, life makes things kind of challenging, and, like, I get that. That's, you know, that, that kind of throws a wrench into our plans and that kind of thing. But committing for the long haul is part of what it means to value the well-being of others above ourselves, because this is one of the things that makes marriage so great and so challenging, is that when you have, it's one thing for me to commit for the long haul for a couple of years with you. It's another thing to commit to the long haul for a lifetime with you, right? Um, and, and there's going to be seasons in that lifetime where one or both of you is going to look at the other person and think, oh, they're really hard. You know, like, this ain't doing going so good right now, you know? Like, like that's, that's kind of how marriage works, right? But it's the fact that you dive into those times together actually forges friendships inside of you that forges a deeper bond and connection inside of you it's that it's that commitment to the long haul that actually gets you there that actually um, yields the relationships you're looking for this is kind of a, a different area of life but one of the things that kind of matters to me uh, when i started in ministry the average tenure for a pastor at a church is 2.5 years um what we know when we study uh, just like church and effectiveness in like a church's mission and that kind of thing is a pastor's good years don't start happening until about year seven. So I'm not here to tell you that the whole reason that, you know, the church in America isn't doing so great right now is just because, you know, pastors don't work long enough. But here's what happens. Everything's great for the first 12, 18 months, right? And then we discover, oh my gosh, this congregation is really, you know, they got some problems. <laughs> and then people are like, oh my gosh, this pastor's really got some problems. And then it, we get, you know, we kind of go for about a year and then we're like, well, the problems, right? just can't be fixed. And so then we walk away. Right? And what we actually walk away from in the process is the chance to kind of usher in this effective, hey, we've built the trust, we've earned the earn the relational credit, you know, like all that kind of stuff to really make some difference for the kingdom of God, right? And so when I saw that as like a very, very young pastor, I just kind of thought, hey, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be the guy that like, you know, is just trying to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing because I don't think that's good for anything. Yeah. I don't say that's like, oh, wow, look 
this is such a great, you know, whatever, right? But just say, I think that's true in all arenas of our life. If we want to see effectiveness and growth, we have to commit for the long haul. That leads me to the final thing. We need to reaffirm. If we want to have uh, relationships that boost us over the wall, we need relationships that reaffirm our love for each other. Um, I have a friend. I was talking uh, with a friend probably about 10 years ago now uh, who's done some missionary work in Africa, I believe in West Africa somewhere. And he was commenting that one of the things that initially jarred him when he moved into this culture uh, but then he came to appreciate deeply about West African culture that he he so, and I agree, so deeply wish our American culture would learn from, is he would walk down the streets of his town or village he was in, and he would see men, like, holding hands with one another. And it wasn't like some, you know, you know pride thing or whatever. Like, it was just a, it was just a, hey, this is my friend, and I love him, and this guy is my friend, and I love him, and we aren't afraid to kind of affirm that and, and wear that on our sleeve in some way. I thought there was something beautiful and, and like innocent and just really, really good about that. And I think we miss out because here's what I know. For me, saying the words, I love you, are some of the hardest words to say um, because like it just feels kind of weird. <laughs> and, like, you know, when I leave church, I'm not going, hey, I love you. Man. You know, like, oh, oh, are you like terminal illness or something? You know, like what's wrong? Man? Yeah, because like, because it's so sad, right? Like, that's the only time that we tell the people who matter the most to us, like we actually look them in the eye and say, I love you, right? No wonder our friendships don't feel like they're doing so great. And what I know is if we are living in a way that is demonstrating our weakness, that is honest about our faults or our struggles or our challenges, what that's going to mean is there's going to be a lot of moments where we are not going to feel very worthy of being loved and accepted, which is exactly when we need the love and acceptance of others the most. So just to recap here, if we want to have relationships, help us pass the wall. We've got to be open to forging them in weakness. We have to commit to the well-being of others above ourselves. We have to commit for the long haul. And we have to reaffirm our love for each other. Friendship is a powerful force. We started, you know, started with that. And uh, isn't it true that in your life, everything can be going crappy, but if your relationships are doing really well, like things are like you're okay, you know? And conversely, isn't it true, like everything can be going great you got the promotion you got all the money in the world you could ever want you, you know you i don't know whatever it is that defines success for you but your relationships feel like they aren't going well isn't that true that's like that's a chasm that feels like nothing can fill and it's just like bad it's because friendship is a powerful force and i want us to move past the wall and the way to move past the wall in part is for us to embrace the relationships that get us there. So with that being said, why don't you go ahead and stand up, and Bree is going to lead us in one final song to close us out this morning.